Um, I win. Look how close I am to the fireplace. Seems a little uncomfortable. <laughs> Why? All right. Clearly, I encourage drinking at the intermission too strongly. We were already pretty goofy. <laughs> oh, okay, good. This is gonna be fun, guys. All right. Hi, this is Catherine Lasota, host of the LIC Reading Series. Welcome to the LIC Reading Series podcast. In our last episode, we heard the readings from our April 10, 2018 event when we celebrated our three-year anniversary. And this episode, we're going to hear the panel discussion from that same event with authors Simeon Marcellus, Cunnan Jones, and Lynn Tillman. Now, we were celebrating an anniversary, so we were all drinking a bit and getting excited to eat the cake later, and we got maybe a little loopy in the panel discussion and uh, had a lot of fun. I think you're going to hear some laughter here. But uh, what you're also going to hear is the Magic Silver Box comes out halfway through the panel discussion. And the Magic Silver Box is something we bring out at LIC Reading Series where audience members put a question in the box. And then if I ask a question from the Magic Silver Box, that audience member wins a prize from a local Queen's business. So join me now as we start the panel discussion from our three-year anniversary event in April 2018 with Simeon Marcellus, Conan Jones, and Lynn Tillman. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna dive in. I'm gonna ask some questions here and we're gonna have a conversation and then we're going to get into that magic silver box. So don't you worry. That box is right behind me in front of the fire with the best seat in the house. It's not flammable, I swear. Um, so just to get into like a really you know lightweight question. Uh, it's not really a lightweight question. So, Lynn, in, in your book, we get a lot of, um, with your narrator, I feel like we get this idea, who's a, um, studies photographs, cult, cultural anthropologist, am I right? Um, and this idea of how he came to be the person that he is, and um, and there's, a, there's some self, you know, it's a lot of self-reflection happening in all of your books from your narrators, and let's just dive right in and ask each of you, what do you think drew you to be a writer? What, I, you know, we hear things sometimes of um, feeling like you have something you need to say or feeling silenced in a way or there's other reasons that people become writers, but was there something for you that says, like, this is, this is what drove me to, to do this, to write? Let's ask the new father first, because he is... <laughs> Are we doing this in alphabetical yeah. order? Yeah. <laughs> alphabet changes alphabet in this room every minute. Queen's alphabetical um, order. No. <laughs> well, re reading. Read reading. I, I write because I read. Simple as that. Um, I think I grew up in a, in a in a very different place from here. It was very rural. And so you had to make your own fun, really. And the world was the playground. And, and I was constantly populating the landscape, the place around me with make-believe. Unless it was really, really raining, which was mostly. But there, there, there was a line when you're going, right, you actually, it is too wet to be outside. You have to come in. You know, wait, when, wait, it was, wait. when it was going over the top of the Wellingtons, it was like. You, you became a writer because it rained a lot? Yeah, because that, and then you ended up reading because you couldn't go out and play. Um, so the reading was really the place that you went, the landscape you went into. But I think what it was, as I say, you populated the, I populated the world around me with adventure. And as you get older and tireder, you just stop doing that physically and started doing it on the page, really. And all of the books that I've written, the, the, the genesis of the story is, is something in the landscape. And it's a what if, it's a what if question, a, a possibility. What if you were out in a kayak and you were hit by lightning? What if 
you found something on a beach, you know, um, and you had this dilemma which you could change your life with. Um, it's just ch a childlike wonder of the world which I managed to not lose, I think. Mm. Well, it sounds like if you, you do less adventure in the physical world than you write, do you get into less physical good shape as a writer then? <laughs> 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 This is the eleven-week-old baby. No. Usually, <laughs> it's just because I'm just, I just my, bring uh, it up because you, know. it, you guys all look like you are in great shape. I just want to point that out for anyone who is listening and can't see. These people are all in wonderful shape. <laughs> well, I actually, I actually do most of my writing on my feet. Uh, I don't. Are you serious? I, I don't go near the. I don't mean I stand at the desk. <laughs> I'm not that short. Um, but the, the <laughs> it's a huge desk. Um, no, it's. I, I like to I like to pretty much have a book ready to go before I even start writing it down, and and that happens in 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 the mind, which is in the brain. <laughs> um, and well, we think we don't know. Where possibly, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's that process of allowing a, a story to to form and to and to to simmer and to allow the things which don't deserve their place in it to fall away or to 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 to, to you know the relevant stuff to really create some sort of strength of that. And when you feel that it's ready, then you go to the desk and you write it down in, in an ideal world. So actually, mostly I'm doing pretty physical things. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and I think better when I am. Mm -hmm. I say that 11-week-old <laughs> baby, and just <laughs> apart from I've got a hugely strong left arm. That's, no, <laughs> hang on, let me explain that. That's from carrying the baby, <laughs> not from... I actually probably, yeah, I should have jumped in on myself so quickly there, should I? Yeah. Quick <laughs> start. Where Can we start? edit this? Can I re-answer no. that question? No. Okay. This okay. is the beauty of Queens. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll just drink. Yeah. You want me to? Uh, why did I? Uh, youngest child, quite a bit younger than my sisters, and um, born into a family already constituted. Uh, they'd been around longer than I, and I think that no one really listened to me. It's not pathetic. It's fine. It's just the way it was. <laughs> Sorry, what are you saying? <laughs> All right, it's fine. Um, but um, I liked reading also. And I discovered that uh, when I started writing compositions in school, when you're, what, third, in third grade or sixth, second grade or something like that, uh, the actual thing that happened was we were given, we were asked to write an essay about uh, Charlemagne. I think I was in third grade. And I went home. With, really? Uh, yes, third grade. I went home and I uh, wrote Charlemagne, Man of War. I was so excited, I then wrote Charlemagne, Man of Peace. <laughs> <laughs> And there you have it. And uh, those moments were precious to me and also show that from the very beginning there was this deep contradiction <laughs> in and my thinking. Are those now out of print? <laughs> <laughs> well, in a, my parents threw out everything, so yes. <laughs> oh, man. Simeon. Um, I have had time to think about this. Because you're going third. <laughs> because I'm going third, and I am not. I, the, there's a book answer. I could trace three or four books, 
but there's a better answer, which is that, which corresponds to the question about shape. Um, shape, I, shape? Yeah, shape. Did I you forget said, a question that I had earlier? Yeah, you, you were like, oh, you guys are all in good shape. You're oh, right. oh, bodily shape. Bodily oh, shape. Yeah, okay, okay. Bodily shape. Yeah. Bodily shape. Um, I I went to the University of Vermont to play basketball. I was a Division One basketball player. Were you? I was. In yeah. fact, that was my first love and calling, I guess, in a way. And um, I was going to leave the basketball team, but of course, this was also leaving a scholarship. And so I had to ask my parents if they would pay for me to go to school. And be a writer? And, no, 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 not, not yet. <laughs> that would have been absurd. Um, <laughs> they were paying for me to be a religion major, so it was a lot more practical. <laughs> um, no, my father, I never forget, he was just like, you better not be quitting to just smoke weed all the time. Because <laughs> that's what he thought people but, do in Vermont, I guess. I don't you're know. You're like, that's what writers do. <laughs> and then I was like in my room and I was like, nah, I'm going to be a writer. And then, wait, 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 was that just your answer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's my less serious answer. I mean, my serious answer is like the books that bring you to, make you believe to, everybody starts as a reader, I think. Like you have to love, you have to be enchanted by some book that makes you like, oh, wow, this is. But then I think there's the second one, which is like, what makes you also feel like you can do it? And for me, it was John Cheever's The Swimmer. Um, I'm from Westchester County. I'm from New Rochelle, New York. And I read The Swimmer, and I was just like, damn, like, this is... Well, first, I just really love unreliable narrators, as you can tell. Get his lot to grin, so now, Catapult, October 10th. Um, but I, was, I grew up in the same county as this story happens. I was like, I don't recognize anybody in this story, but I still love it. And so I think my writing journey kind of started there. Why do I not recognize anybody that I know? from Westchester, but why do I also still love this story? Um, it's got something to do with being delusional, I think. No, wait, I <laughs> Imaginative. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> that, but that brings up such an interesting point of like, okay, Westchester, and you say, well, I'm from Westchester County, and mm. I don't, that's... So this idea of um, place in writing and how important is that to you because you're you, so same in, in your book that your character does go to the university of vermont same mm -hmm. university same university did? okay and um and kind of you have a very your place in this book is in a kayak <laughs> like in the water and it's it's almost in a way um places is everything and also eliminated in, in at the same time and then and Lynn, in your book, there's there's this discussion of of um, images that maybe the image is the image of another place, but the book is very much in the mind of this narrator also in his theorizing. And so I, I wonder if you could each talk a little bit about what you think about place in your writing, and, and is it important in how you present your ideas and and how your stories get started, or, or what you're drawn to. What is what role does place play? You don't have to start, kind in every so the time. The place you sit is also <laughs> a huge part to play. Um, well, I think it goes back to what I said earlier about the, the the place itself. This landscape that I grew up in was where I learned to learn to imagine. Um, 
and that then transfers into the novel. So there was a huge breakthrough point. I, I was telling Lynn earlier that I was 22 years old and I decided, okay, I do want to give writing a, a shot. I don't want to be a 40-year-old who's blaming wife and kids and not having had the chance to write a great novel. So I, I'm, I need to take it seriously. But then I also recognized I didn't know how to write at all. And so I set myself up as a copywriter and was a copywriter for five years with this this promise to myself that at 28 I'd go back home to Wales and I'd give myself two years to write a book. And I did that and wrote just dreadful misfires <laughs> of sort of amorphous cities, this, these idiots, this cast adrift, you know, falling in love with nude paintings and this sort of shit. <laughs> and, um, fucking dreadful. And, um, and then, you know, I, I sort of thought, <laughs> because you obviously had to write something quite grown up, you know, um, and then there was a moment when, when you're writing all the time anyway, it becomes a physical habit. If you jog every day or you swim every day and then suddenly you don't, uh, you miss it. So I've been writing. I just finished a book uh, uh, about refuse collectors, about what was thrown away, about packaging, wrapping, whether that's behavioral or relationship or pack of the chips or anything. And I was in the physical habit of writing and I just started writing this thing that had been sort of forming but not very officially and it was a story of a cow that goes for a walk essentially set on a welsh farm and the farmer when the cow is missing trying to find it and i i wrote down it and as each chapter happened i sort of piled it onto the floor i wrote it from the start to the start to finish typed it up edited it finished it in his 10 days and i had this novel and uh it it was published and you know it was, it was that that was the end of the two years i'd given myself to write and it came out right at the last hollywood moment of that and it was the first story that i'd really written that was set in this place i absolutely understood and from there really it just gave me the faith to be able to continue that more that child I, well, I say childlike but i don't mean that in a diminutive term i mean that as in that experience that thrill of being out in the landscape going wow what if and then to try and find the technical ability to be able to create that story. And actually with Cove, that was a deliberate attempt. I, I, what was happening with the, with the other novels, you start to become pigeonholed very quickly. Um, there's a sort of critical facility that happens and they say, Conan Jones writes gritty agricultural novels. <laughs> um, that Gr gritty, you know, miserable, definitely. you know, animal cruelty, and, uh, <laughs> and it's all and it's all about connection with place, connection with place, and, and particularly people who aren't connected to their place, who sort of you know move to London and do important jobs, they, they, they fetishize place. Uh, so I think it's become quite fetishized this sense of place because a lot of people are mobile now; um, they don't really maybe know where their place is. But if you know, I live fifty meters from where I grew up, so I'm fairly clear on it. I can walk. You know, I, I know this place like the back of my hand. And um, but with Cove, I wanted to take all of that away. I wanted to go right. I'm fed up of being told I write about place and this. So I'm going to write something which has no place. The place is the kayak. He doesn't know where he is. His memory's shot. He doesn't know who he has a relationship with. You know, so all of the things that I was being told I do well. I thought right. Well, I won't do it then. <laughs> it's brutal. It's just it's hard to write. <laughs> but yeah. So that. But what's interesting is. It's still got a very specific place. I know exactly where he is. And that kayak, as you said, becomes the platform. That's the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
And I'm, 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 I'm thinking. <laughs> no, um, you've raised such uh, interesting um, problems uh, for me. I um, years ago, Paul Bowles uh, said um, in in a letter that a place has become unimportant, and he was talking about how people can fly somewhere and be, you know, five hours New York to Paris or something like that. And, um, and also there's another fact, which was, and I don't know if it's still true, but Americans on average move every two years. I think with the economy in the last 15, 20 years, people don't do it, but that I think 40 years ago, that was true. And then there's the third strand of this, which is how Americans uh, reject their history or don't think about history. So you put all these things together and you've got me. No, I don't know. <laughs> you've got the problem of um, what it means to, to leave a place. Are you leaving your history? Are you escaping it? Uh, what do you What do you imagine? I mean, Americans imagine that they can be a new person wherever they go. What I was very struck by when I lived in Europe was that um, people lived in the same place like you for all, all their lives, and their parents lived there, and their grandparents lived there, and their identities were very caught up with these places that they they lived. That's not the usual thing for an American writer at all. You have some, I think notably um, William Kennedy, uh, who's, uh, whose relationship to the city of Albany is extremely important. It's in all, all his novels. Uh, but that's not the case. I actually, um, I'm hearing you and I'm wishing that I had more relationship to a place. I don't think I really do. Now I'm getting sad that you weren't heard and you don't have a relationship to a place. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Okay, okay, all right, okay. We're going to move on to Simeon, yeah. who's had lots of time to think about this question yeah, because a, he's gone third. I've had a whole lot of time to think about this question. Um... I, obviously the book, um, how, what do I want to say? How do I want to start this one out? This is what I want to say about it. Um, I was probably in workshops. I also decided to write when I was not 22. I was probably, I was 20 when I started writing short stories. And actually my coach would get really upset because I'd be on the bus to all these tournaments and I'd be writing these short stories. And I remember what the first three are about. I'm definitely not going to tell you because they're really, really fucking bad. Um, but I remember, you know, a big part of the novel is about architecture and particularly about how America borrows from Western Europe and more particularly the Roman Empire. I think a lot of Western cultural history, actually this is a religion major in me really like. Um, so I wasn't an English major, so I was really a lot more concerned about ritual and place. And so, I knew, you know, in, in those first workshops, they all tell you, you know, write what you know, write what you know. And um, so I decided that the landscape could be what I knew. Um, and I know the west side of Manhattan very well because I was a split child. And although I grew up in New Rochelle, I spent every weekend and all of my summers on the upper west side of Manhattan. 
And um, obviously I went to the University of Vermont. But what particularly interested me about the university versus the city is how the how kind of nationalism, which was, I studied religion, but I ended up focusing mostly on nationalism, particularly American nationalism, um, how nationalism is buoyed by city narratives. You know, this last cycle, election cycle we had, each person was touched by the city. Um, some more than others, you know, even people who try to represent themselves as countryside are like really city people. So I was really interested in this, in, in the city as this kind of Western or not even just Western, just like civilizational construct. Um, I think about how I'm always outside of New York City. Everybody's called New York City Babylon or, you know, but it's always the same relationship. So I was really interested, particularly in America, how our states are founded a lot of times by universities. I mean, in my book, you find out the University of Vermont is one of the main, it's a bunch of rich dudes from Connecticut who invent Vermont and then try to secede. Um, a lot of the times our university systems have so much to do with our place here, which I knew wasn't the same as in Western Europe because there's such a longer system of history. So for me as an American, it was really interested to kind of look at how our sense of place, even if we try to be as placed as we are, it's completely a rewritten place. So it's actually like a trip. You can't almost be from a place and feel like you're from a place here because we know it's not our place. Um, yeah, so I was really interested in place. I'm glad you went third, man. You got to really <laughs> think that through. But you brought up some things, and wait, I'm going to ask you this, and then I'm going to have to grab something. Um, Drop that mystery. Uh, because, uh, Sam, you're talking about what you studied um, in religion and nationalism. And um, there, was, there was one line of Ezekiel, the character in uh, Men and Apparitions, um, who's giving us a lot of theories on things. And there's one line, something about, he's like, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's an abstract. It's, it's abstract, but I'm working on a theory on it. Something, <laughs> something like that, which I loved. Um, <laughs> So I just wonder uh, if you, what your thoughts are on formal education in writing, just thinking about education and, and you know, he's, Zeke is very much, Ezekiel is very much an anthropologist and um, he's in that world, but like that's a different kind of academia, but what your, your thoughts are on formal education in writing and if that was important to you or not important to you, you've talked about reading being important to you as a writer, but what about education or not in that field. And um, while you think about that, Cunnan has to go first, I guess, because he always goes first. He doesn't have I to. I can go first. Um, Same man can go first this time. While, <laughs> while I can't believe I forgot to put on my silvery sparkly jacket for the panel because it's our birthday. So I'm going to go put that on while you start answering it. Okay. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Education. Oh yeah, education. In writing. <laughs> education is important. For um, writing. For writing. Uh, I can't really <laughs> talk um, because I, I would have had a completely different answer when I first published this book than I do now. I'm currently in a beautiful and wonderful master's program at Rutgers Newark. And some of my beautiful... <laughs> unbelievable only poets however which is making me like <laughs> you know the poets are accepting me maybe it'll be a book of poetry next um 
And actually, maybe that's what I'll do. I'll talk about what I've found. I've never been a writer with a community. I have rejected community. I've been workshops. I always hate workshop. So I don't, I don't know what to say particularly about that. Even in my book, David is kind of lampooning workshops, which is based on my experience in an out of edu, right? Like not in a, in a workshop that floats around New York City. I'm sure people know floating workshops in New York City. Um, but so I think for the beginning of this book, I mean, so much of it was about not interacting was about interacting with books and not particularly writers. I didn't have an identity as a writer. I didn't want to be a writer. I didn't think that was cool. I thought basketball players were cool. So like I was like, oh yeah. They are. Like I was embarrassed <laughs> to be a writer kind of for my first writer things, you know. Um and so I've I'm I'm now lucky enough. I just went to the Berkshires with some of these writers. It's like the first time that I've been around um 13 people that are strange like me in a particular way, but also have their own particularities. So I don't know now. Now I'm a bit conflicted about it because before I would have said fuck that and now I'm kind of like community. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I think reading is the basis for figuring out how to write. And um, there are cynical responses and there are not so cynical responses. So I, I have taught in MFA programs and PhD programs and a lot of people think you can't teach writing but all the other arts you can teach. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bizarre notion really that uh, uh, can you teach talent ca capacity to do something? No. But can you make better readers? Can you make better viewers? Yeah. You can do that. And it's that in itself is a great thing to do. But to get people to read stuff that they might not have read in a writing course, graduate or undergraduate, is fabulous. And to have those discussions and to be thinking about language and what language they're using. So, you know, I think education is important. I think that... Um, it's, uh, I, I have always liked listening to people who know more things than I do and in areas that I don't know. What can be wrong with that? You know, what, there's nothing that can be wrong with that. So, yeah. And it's a way for us to make us writers make some money. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've had a long time to think about this. This is going to be a great answer. <laughs> yeah, reading. It's reading, reading, reading. You want to learn how to write, read people that can do it. Um, but I think what's interesting, and Lynn's just touched on this, is that there, if you wanted to be a concert pianist, then you'd go to conservatoire and you'd, you'd practice and practice and practice and practice and practice and practice, and you'd do scales, and you'd spend years perfecting that technical ability but there's that's just sort of not because we've been speaking since we were two years old we just assume that we can use words to write a book and we can't um it takes years of discipline and practice and and, and the technical side of it perhaps i think is what should in in the teaching of it i think there should be more focus on that rather than the more 
emotive, oh, well, maybe we should inhabit your characters. I said, yeah, fine, but if you can't write down what they're thinking, <laughs> you're going to mess it up. So, you know, actually, how about you write, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, instructions as to where the nearest cash machine is <laughs> accurately, you know, and then we'll take it from there. Um, so it's a funny thing. It's that, you know, and, and even people, as I said, it's, a, it's, 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 it's dismissed as something which doesn't need the technical time and, and practice, I think. So in formal education, I think there needs to be more emphasis on actually learning to write before you try and write a book. Because if you just invest your time, everyone starts to learn, starts, learns as they go, put it that way. And if the first thing you properly try to write is something you care a lot about, you are going to mess it up and it's going to become a complete kind of wrestling match. And it can become a very negative experience. So learn to write writing things you don't care about. And then, that's really good it's interesting right. yeah what if you have this thing that you're you're like really want to write about this thing how do you not write about it until you get better so as not to mess with well, it i think some of that's to do with knowing that you're crap going <laughs> i better not write this yet because i'll i'll get it wrong i'll do it a disservice so it's that that kind of fear of and i still have it now i'm five novels in and i know there are things i want to write which i'm just not growing enough enough to write yet and actually i do see pretty much all of the things that i write see feel to me like a way of sort of generating another writing muscle or uh trying something new trying to trying to gain another ability so that when the big one comes along i'll get it right um, it's really funny that you use that analogy considering you have a man in a kayak who is like a fishing equipment and you're waiting you know, for the big one to come along. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's conscious. No, it's nothing, there's nothing <laughs> meaningless going on. <laughs> something like Jaws. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw you a line. I, I think that sleep deprivation, what'd you say? <laughs> oh, I heard you. Okay. There's a no. pun. I got it. I got it. But I just want to point out that sleep deprivation makes one brilliant. Right? Well, I'll tell you what sleep deprivation does is, um, so I got on a plane to to get here for Monday. I had to leave Wales on Saturday. Uh And um, I got onto the plane at early hours of Sunday morning. Wait, wait. Wait, say that again. Yeah, yeah. Well, because Wales is a long way from airports and things like that. Uh So, And I got up on Sunday morning and I put on my trusty flight socks <laughs> and i got on you like, know compre- like socks compression are, right? socks yeah yeah right yeah. yeah compression socks yeah so i was like right there we go it's a long flight put my compression socks on and i was on the plane going <laughs> i think i might have worn these out even though i've only ever been on two long flights in my life um and it was really hot i was like these socks are seriously hot and then i got to the hotel jet lag and i took my compression socks off and Went to bed and then I woke up in the morning and went, ah, yeah, those are my soccer socks. They're <laughs> <laughs> fine. That's, that's sleep deprivation. <laughs> yeah, so at least you put socks on. Yeah. All right, I'm going to ask you guys one more question. I, I had more questions, but I see, I don't, you know, I want, I don't want us to wait forever for cake. I get it. I, I'm I'm fascinated that we have three novels here and they're all such different. They're just we have your slim volume, we have a not so slim volume. We have I have so many questions and we can continue talking, but while I dive through the magic silver box, um, I noticed so there's a there's a 
there's a praying mantis in Lynn's book named Mr. Petey. And yes, there is. There is. And um and there's a there's several sea creatures in um Cunnan's book, and one of them is a sunfish. And I've noticed that Lynn has a praying mantis as a profile photo on Facebook. <laughs> And that Cunnan has recently tweeted a picture of a sunfish. So I'm just wondering, do you guys have spirit animals? No. <laughs> Not that the, I know of, no. The, sun, the sunfish is in the American Natural History Museum. So whenever I go anywhere, I try and find, when it was the dig, I try and find a badger. Because it's about badgers. And so in Madrid, I found a badger in Madrid. In the what, Natural what do you History mean? Museum. What's about badgers? His well, book, the first the book, well, the, oh. the other book was about badgers, so, and then, so to find a sunfish in the center of New York was, yeah, I thought it was, yeah. but it's not my spirit animal. Because <laughs> you, you don't have one. Because I don't have one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm going to. I wish my spirit animal was a praying mantis. There's, there's something, mine is something amphibious, I know that much. Oh, well, that's I... something. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit further along. So. <laughs> That was also a pun in case nobody caught it. Oh, that's right. You're crawling up the beach, aren't you? <laughs> beach. Man, you guys. Okay, questions from the Yeah, we got questions from the audience. We have to decide who's going to get the first question, though. So, the first question is going to go to one of you guys. And this is how we're going to decide. Um, I'm thinking of... A piece of furniture. Cunning. Name a piece of furniture. Chair. Lynn? That's exactly what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. It's true. <laughs> Simeon's had a lot of time to think yeah, about Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've had a lot of time to think about this. <laughs> Well, my aunt was texting me about couches earlier, so I'm going to say couch. Wait, you, did you say your aunt was texting you about couches? Yeah, she's been texting me about couches. Did you help her? No, not not those type of texts. <laughs> what? I, I don't know my, what you mean by that. I, I, I'm, let me explain further. My work is a little bit ambiguous. It's as eyes to grin. It's right over here. If you haven't bought a copy yet, make sure you get it. Um, no, she works at an architectural firm and. She has a free couch. Oh. So did you help her by taking it? No, because I already have enough. I don't have any space for another couch. You need a couch? That <laughs> oh, was my oh, second wait, thing. Does sorry. anybody need a couch I'm here? I'm sorry. I almost, I almost forgot. I, had, uh, I was thinking of a piece of furniture. Okay. So we have two chairs and a couch. You guys are going to have to help me out here. I think, I think Simeon's the winner because I was thinking of a bureau. And a bureau is a little bit larger than most chairs, and the couch is a little bit larger. And also, you guys said the same thing, so whatever. Mm, I'm going to give it to Simeon. Mm, mm. All right. Whoever asks this question gets a free drink ticket to wash down your cake with a drink. Simeon, do you believe in magic? If yes, what kind? If no, why not? <laughs> All right. Shit. <laughs> I'm a flat earther. <laughs> That's not magic. Oh, I don't understand flat earth theories, actually. I believe in the Illuminati. No, I'm, I, 
Um, I think, I think I read because I was a religion major. I've like read a couple of alchemists, and I like like their ideas. Like I see where they're going. Um, but no, I don't. Uh, yeah, unless we're going to get really, unless we're going to be really elastic about this definition of magic, I think it's fair to say that I do not believe in magic. And I would say the reason why I don't believe in magic is, what? yeah, like what, <laughs> the reason why, <laughs> yeah, like why, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to come yeah, at the question, I've had no time to think about this. <laughs> this is a completely spontaneous response. That's fair. I mean, if you like. Um, I don't believe in magic because as a child, I read Harry Potter and I never was taken to You're Hogwarts. A baby. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, it was, it was a little bit upsetting. It was a little bit upsetting. And then I realized that, you know, platform nine and three quarters probably isn't real. And so you were crushed. I was absolutely crushed. That's why I write fiction now. I'm trying to revive mm -hmm. magic. Right, there you, it is. You might, there have it is to, you might have to give him the drink ticket because you just <laughs> crushed him. With that question, thank you for that. I know you worked hard for it. All right, so the next question. <clears throat> I'm thinking of... No, that's hard. That's too hard. <laughs> I'm thinking of a metallic color. <laughs> There's only two people who need to answer the question, Miss Free Drink Ticket, who clearly doesn't need it. All right. Lynn, a metallic color. What's that? Name one. Silver. Okay. Fine. <laughs> Silver. Conan, you Do need I one. Do I get a drink ticket? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. You know the host. All right, Conan. Copper. All right, so, it, oh my God, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking of. Uh, Sorry, Lynn. Uh, that's all right. <laughs> but it's a, it's a doozy of a question, which means because it's our three-year anniversary, I'm doing something kind of weird in that I thought I would give a, a piece of myself away. Oh. I mean, because as you get older, you start to form your humanness and realize your limit, you, limitations and you give away, I, I can't, I don't know. I can't go, where was I going with that? Like you, you become more defined, but there's pieces of you that you lose, but hopefully you also, you, you're not gonna help me with this, Lexi? What I'm trying to say is I've been like cleaning out my house. <laughs> and whoever <laughs> asked this question, gets a Pen America prize pack of journal number 20 <laughs> of Pen America, plus an, a sealed copy of Passages Africa Contemporary Writing from the Continent, mm. plus mints. <laughs> it's a good question, though. So you ready? I'm not going to say what they are. They're branded mints, but I, they're not a sponsor. All right. <clears throat> oh, no. 
I so think they're actually mints and not the other thing we keep in mint tins in our house that are not mints. Sorry, mom. Shh. Okay. What are your main strength? Kind of, who asked this question? What are your main strengths and weaknesses as a writer? I mean, it's a, it's a small question. Who asked this question? <laughs> you get the prize back. I promise they're sanitary. You could list like one strength and one weakness. <laughs> Are you self-aware for that? Uh, it's actually yeah. the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> same strength, same weakness, answering questions. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, it's, uh, strength, I would say, um, I think you have to be very self-disciplined to write. I think you have to focus. And in that is the act of getting rid of everybody else in your world for significant periods of time in order to put the words on the page. And that's quite difficult. But I'm, or have been, fairly uh, fairly hardcore in the pursuit of that. And I do write very, very quickly in general. So, But I will kick my wife out of the house for three days. and go. With the baby? <laughs> yeah, now we have a baby. It's going to... Oh, oh, but she'll be fine. She'll be fine. The weather's warming up. It'll be all right. No, but um, it rains all the time, so, as you yeah, said. Yeah. Right? It's warm rain at this time of year. No, it's, it's um, I think, so I, I suppose it's focus, and not just focus to do the work, but focus on the idea, and then the, the brutal interrogation of the text. Um, and that sometimes, uh, that's the difficulty, but also in, in respect to the strength. I suppose it's the interrogating whether that word should be there, whether that sentence is doing any work whether there's truth in, 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 in the text. Uh, we're talking about yourself. Thank you for that question. <laughs> um, weaknesses. Um, I would say that it's probably the same as most writers I know. And it's that I don't write enough. I don't, I don't do, I don't play to my strengths as much as I should. I should be writing all the time. And you feel, you feel that you're, even though you know, and you learn that actually you can't just constantly write. Uh, and that there's a lot going on under the surface, you still feel impatient when you're not. Um, and that's perhaps a weakness I still need to to, to win, uh, to win over. It, it is different having a, having a baby because there's something far more important than, than, than a book. But um, that's possibly the weakness is getting frustrated when I'm not writing. Although I'm always writing in my head, but it's the doing of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Thank you for diving into that self-reflexive question. That's a tricky one. You deserve that prize pack. <laughs> All right. The The great thing here, Lynn, is you don't have to guess anything now because you're just going to get this question. Because I what? You just get this question because <laughs> Conan and Simeon already got theirs, so you don't have to guess of furniture or, unless you want to. You're free. <laughs> Do what? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so... The asker of this question gets a gift certificate to the Astoria Bookshop. Good for in-store purchase at this lovely location in Astoria, Queens, New York City, United States of America. <laughs> the question, Lynn, is what types of books did you read as a child and did they have an impact on you becoming a writer? Maybe we could talk about if there's a particularly memorable books you read as a child. Who asked this question? 
you get a gift certificate to the bookstore. They have an excellent children's section, by the way. I, speaking of, well, there you go. Well, that's, that is an interesting question. Uh, when I, I guess when I, I, the first book I remember reading to myself had an enormous impact on me and may have um, been the reason why everything I do is wrong or something, <laughs> something like that. Um, I remember sitting on my bed in, uh, in uh, the bedroom I shared with the sister who's six years older, reading a book about a little girl. It was a children's book, but it shouldn't have been for children. Uh, it's really devastating. It was a children's book about a little girl who has a blanket. She loves this blanket and the blanket gets a hole in it. And so she thinks I'll cut out the hole. Mm. So she cuts out the hole. Of course, the hole has gotten bigger and there's less blanket. And she continues to do this until there is no blanket. And I remember sitting on my bed with this, wondering why you couldn't cut out a hole. <laughs> so I think that's been the book that's had the greatest influence on my writing. Nothing, nothing compares with that. That's amazing. <laughs> Wait, what is it? Do you know the, na the name? Well, you know, it's funny. This is, this is, this is so, you know, so irrational. But so I, I put this story in a book. And years later, somebody in Australia wrote me a letter that she knew the name of the book. Do I have that letter? I have no <laughs> idea where that letter is. So, and I'm very disturbed about that. <laughs> I don't know what I did with that letter. You would think that I would have held on to that letter. So there is a name to it, but I don't know. Don't know it. It ex obviously, or not obviously, but it seems to truly have existed because somebody else read it. Or, or was that really a letter you got? <laughs> Mind brain. I thought you were going to say she said, "I know the name of that book, and I'm not going to tell you." <laughs> Just like an Australian. Just like an Australian. <laughs> I can't trust them. Um, no. I mean, it's out there in the world now, so maybe we'll find the title for you. Okay. We are going to ask one more question, but it's for all of you. And um, whoever asks this question gets a gift certificate for the Gantry Restaurant, which is a few blocks down the street. Same owner as the LIC Bar. Uh, really delicious food, delicious cocktails. I think they serve food to 11 or just come back here next month and get dinner before the show, and that'd be great. Bring your gift certificate. And I'm gonna ask this question because clearly this is a gift certificate for food, and this person had food on the mind, and the question was, what did you have for breakfast? <laughs> Who asked this question? Yeah, what did you have for breakfast? You can go first. Nice. Go first, Simi. Um, I so. walked out of my, I, I, I woke up, from a nightmare like usual, uh, staring into my wall, which is the abyss. And I was- You need to paint that wall. <laughs> no, it's nice. That's it's how I begin all of my stories, actually. Um, staring into the abyss. <laughs> staring into the abyss. And then I delete the sentence, of course. Of course. Um, <laughs> but I usually make a left and go to my local bodega and I get a bacon, egg, and cheese. That's a New York bacon, egg, and cheese, which is always American cheese. Um, it's an unfortunate sandwich. 
But today, today I did not. Today I live in Crown Heights and I thought, well, I live on the corner of this Hasidic neighborhood. I might as well, you know, go enjoy not the bodega, but the deli, question mark. And so I rolled in there and they actually bake all their own bread. And every time I walk by there, I always see all of these sweet treats in the window. And I fucking hate sweet shit when I wake up. I just want, except for my coffee, I just want a coffee and something really savory. And of course, this is a Jewish deli and it never occurred to me to just go like further in mm. and just find the bagels. So today... I had an everything bagel from my neighborhood deli with cream cheese on it. Oh, plain cream cheese? Plain cream cheese. And it was 100% better than any other bagel place in Crown Heights. So if you want to come check out my local bagel deli, just send me a text message or a Facebook message. I also respond to email and I'll hook you up. <laughs> Very boring. Muesli. Muesli? Muesli and... Um, Half of an apple cut up, and uh, almond milk that tastes like water. <laughs> it does. It does. You shake it up, and it still tastes like water. Maybe you need a different brand. I don't know. I don't know what it is, okay. but what, I, I use it. Sounds like a very healthy start, though. Very healthy. I can't account for the rest of the day. <laughs> kind of. Add a potato. <laughs> no. no. Uh, um. <laughs> Did you bring it from where? <laughs> 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 yeah, no, um, I just had coffee actually, and, um, and this sort of minuscule croissant thing, which was next to the coffee. No, no, it was, it was, it was two grown. inches across. Yeah, it was tiny. It's not it, a was, it was like a, it was two inches. Yeah, it was tiny. It was like every they had pastries, but it was honey has shrunk the pastries kind. And, um, <laughs> And I wanted, I needed three or four, but then I, I just didn't have that confidence to go, oh, I'll just load the napkin up with them. I'll better just take one. And I think there was a magnification effect going on with the, the lift up glass. Cause when I took it out, it got smaller as it got closer to me. <laughs> <laughs> but at that point I already made the decision. I could only have one and I was like, oh, I'll go. That's all right. And so I had it. Yeah. It was the size of a potato. <laughs> yeah. I had a that. I had a, cross, a croissant. Oh, a croissantella. Clearly, you're the only one here who ate breakfast in a hotel this morning. Is yeah. that what happened? Yeah. 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 All right. Well, you need tomorrow. You need to go to Simeon's Deli in Crown Heights. I've got to get on a train to DC. <laughs> oh, right. well. do, do Amtrak do breakfast? No. There's a there's a food car. Okay. okay. Do they do croissants? <laughs> Okay. No. I'll wait till I get to DC. Like, don't no, even no, get, get a sandwich before okay. you go into Penn Station. It's okay. a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Well, on I that note, Penn Station more. is a nightmare, but Queens is the gateway to freedom. <laughs> gateway to freedom. Let's give a big round of applause to Simeon, Lynn, and Conan. LIC Reading Series is made possible in part by the Queen's Council on the Arts with public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Our theme music is by longtime LIC resident Pat Irwin. <laughs> <laughs>